All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode two of the History 101 podcast. As always, I'm your substitute teacher, Mr. Woods. Today, we'll be going in-depth on the sinking of the Titanic. So strap on your life vests, and let's get ready to set sail. Hey everybody, welcome back to the History 101 podcast, episode 2, coming at you live, Um, it's not live actually, but um, anyway, today we're going to talk about the sinking of the Titanic, a much requested episode after last week's more World War II oriented subject. I know World War II isn't everyone's cup of tea, but it is what it is. So we'll be going back in time to 1912 today, and just want to address also last week's episode featured a lot of swearing. I'm going to try to keep that to a minimum. I was told by my producers that the F-bombs, the quantity, approach Wolf of Wall Street level, so really going to try to work on that. And really going to try to work on the length too, but no promises on that. Um, Also, just a little shout out. uh, It's my birthday on Tuesday, 16th of June. Going to be 23 years old, Jordan year. And if anyone wants to get me a SoundCloud unlimited subscription to host my potties on, it would be much appreciated because I'm already at 40% capacity after releasing one episode. So either we're going to have to get creative or I'm going to get a nice benefactor. Um, But alas, um, so today we'll be talking about the sinking of the RMS Titanic. And this is a super cool topic in my opinion. So I hope everyone's interested. So without further ado, let's get into it. First of all, the name. The Titanic's name comes from the Titans. And the Titans are a group of 12 gods from Greek mythology. And the parents of these gods were Uranus, god of the sky, and Gaia or Gaia, god of the earth. And the name basically means vengeance and strain. And it's kind of come to mean triumphant strength in modern English, in my opinion. So it's a very strong name, and Titanic is definitely, um, the name in and of itself actually kind of means great and big now and strong. So it's a good name, it's a strong name, and definitely a little bit of foreshadowing there. The Titanic was built in Belfast, Ireland which at the time was part of Great Britain. That's a whole nother fucking story. A whole nother story we don't need to get into. But it was part of three Olympic-class cruise ships built for the White Star Line, which was a British shipping and passenger company. So the Titanic and its two sister ships, which were called the Britannic and the Olympic, were built as the White Star's line, White Star Line's response to the rival Cunard Line. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Cunard Line. 
And they had the Cunard line had recently built two fast AF cruise ships, one of which was the Lusitania, which is um, a that's a podcast that's coming soon. But just know that it's a very famous passenger ship as well. These were super fast ships um, made for super uh, quick and rapid transatlantic transportation for both immigrants, vacationers. It was definitely a time to be alive. And the art of transatlantic cruise shipping and passenger travel was very much alive and well. Anyway, Bruce Ismay, who was the chairman of the White Star Line, wanted to compete with Cunard, not just on speed and size, but on luxury as well. So he wanted to build the biggest and most luxurious ships. And these three new ships, the um, Olympic class, were meant to be absolutely the pinnacle of rich gang travel inside and also be super luxurious. So these ships were built by a company called Harland and Wolf in Ireland. And these dudes were basically told money is no object. I don't have the exact figures for all the ships, but best estimates put the Titanic at 1.5 million pounds, which is almost 145 million pounds today which is like 185 million USD. So we're talking racks for the Titanic. And some dimensions for you, the Titanic was 269 meters long and 28 meters wide. That's 882 feet by 92 feet respectively. That is just shy of three football fields long. So the thing is fucking long. The thing is long. Her total height from keel to bridge was 32 meters or 104 feet. And that's over a football field tall, which is at least, I think at the time I've seen some figures that this was one of the highest man-made structures at the time. Because remember, this is before the Empire State Building. This is before the Chrysler Building even, I think. So this is, we're approaching the sky here. And this is really impressive. The Titanic was equipped with three Haas engines. That's just an adjective. That's not a brand or anything. And each was driving a propeller. So the two outer propellers were 30,000 horsepower. And the central run was like 16K. So we're talking some horsies in the back here. To power these engines were 29 boilers, which each, so all those told, contained 159 furnaces. These engines were all coal-powered and would require 600 tons of coal per day. The total capacity of Titanic's coal bunkers, so the storage areas for the coal, was 6,611 tons. And to power these engines, to shovel all that coal, the Titanic would need 176 men just working around the clock to keep her moving. And this was easily one of the top five worst jobs ever because it was hot AF down there. And the suicide rate among coal firemen or coal engineers, whatever they're called, was one of the highest out of all the professions in the world. So 
super sad and terrible job. The Titanic also had a state-of-the-art telegraph system for comms, which had a guaranteed broadcast radius of 565 kilometers, which is like 350 miles. So now that that boring stuff's over, let's talk about the Lux passenger facilities on board Big T. The ship could accommodate 833 first-class passengers, 614 in second class, and about 1,000 in third class, or it's sometimes referred to as steerage. And these were mostly immigrants coming from Eastern Europe, Southern Europe, um, whereas the first and second class passengers might be rich vacationers or people who were honeymooning. Um, she had 900 crew members and the total capacity of Titanic, so maxed out, would be around 3,500 people total, including crew. So the Titanic had a bunch of decorating styles ranging from empire to renaissance to louis the 15th no idea what any of those look like look up some pictures if you want but just know that they're pretty nice and the goal of the titanic was to just feel like a hotel um it wasn't a, a ship as much as it was a place to kind of feel lost in the elegance of all of it. So the goal was to make passengers forget where they were when they stepped on board. Um, and the nice, nice stuff on board was really only available to first-class passengers. So British high snobiety or society, if you want, was pretty evident in these types of cruise ships. Um, class division was definitely, it was almost impossible to, to not see. Um, there was a saltwater swimming pool, a gymnasium, a squash court, massage rooms, steam rooms, and lavish Turkish baths. And for chilling, there was a lounge styled after the Palace of Versailles. There was a men's only smoking room a reading room, a writing room, and even a, just a massive reception hall. Um, there was even a cafe on board that was styled after a Parisian cafe. There was an Italian restaurant, and there was a dining saloon that could seat 600 guests. So there was some super nice stuff on board. Uh, third class was considerably worse. Um, but in a departure from kind of the frat-style open dormitories of a lot of other transatlantic ocean liners, there was, uh, in steerage, there was a lot of opportunities to have your own private cabin. So sometimes you could be shacked with like 10 other people, but it was a huge departure to not just be like a massive hall of beds but to actually have private rooms. And this was super nice. But bottom line, like I said before, class segregation was very evident on board Titanic. Um, but just know life was considerably better for steerage passengers than any other ocean liner at the time. Um, so that was pretty revolutionary for the White Star Line to do that. Um, so let's talk about some of the cool recognizable shit. Um, you know those like massive stairs in the Titanic that you saw in the movie? 
um, that shit was solid English oak, and it descended through seven decks, and that was only available with first-class passengers. Um, and above those big stairs was a wrought iron dome of glass that bathed the stairs in that sexual natural light. Shout out to Natural Light, by the way, if they're trying to sponsor the pod. Um, huge shout out to them. Side note, that staircase would become um, famous even after the sinking because, because it penetrated so deep into Titanic's kind of belly. Um, this would be a place where submersibles could later explore the interior of the wreck. But we'll get to that later, don't worry. As for cargo, the Titanic did actually carry a bunch of stuff for its transatlantic crossing. Um, it had a bunch of mail on its maiden voyage. Um, it had a bunch of valuable items, including cars and things of that nature. The most valuable item on board was a French neoclassical oil painting. I forget the name, um, but it was by French artist Marie-Joseph Blondel. And it was valued at about 100,000 USD, which is like 25 million today's bills. So, controversy time. The Titanic was equipped with 20 lifeboats. And while this was not enough to carry all 3,500 max capacity peeps, it was enough to ferry people to a rescuing ship in the event of a disaster. Because up until this point, most disasters were, they was able to be in like a response boat nearby to help out. And this way, so they, the Titanic did have enough lifeboats to ferry people to a rescuing ship if it were to arrive on time. Um, so theoretically it had enough lifeboats to save everyone at the time, to save everyone on board. And it also complied with all restrictions at the time and all regulations as for lifeboats. Um, so sorry for all that bullshit, but let's get to the actual voyage. The Titanic was finally launched in 1911, so May of 1911. And there was a crowd of 100,000 onlookers when that thing first rolled into the sea, which is like pretty impressive, um, considering there were probably like 150,000 people in the world during that time. Complete historical inaccuracy. I have no idea the population. But on the 2nd of April, 1912, the Titanic ripped a couple sea trials to make sure she was ship shape. And she was declared seaworthy that night. And that same night, the Titanic headed to Southampton in southern England to prepare for her maiden voyage. So this would be her port of departure for her, her very first uh, trip. And... The Titanic was to be captained by the very senior Edward Smith. Definitely look up a picture of this dude. He was like probably 65 years old, super fucking good looking, nice white cropped beard, proper English, super good looking dude, ship shape uh, for the voyage. Of the passengers on board, there are going to be a ton of famous peeps too. The wealthiest dude on board was John Jacob Astor V, and he was an American millionaire. J. Bruce Ismay, who I mentioned before, the chairman of the White Star Line, um, was on board, and there were a ton of other millionaires and industrialists from America and Europe. So there was some, some nice clientele. 
So finally, she presses off 12th of April. I, th- I think it's 12th of April. Um, and no, 11th of April, my be, my be. And she makes a few stops across the English Channel in France to pick up some people, goes back up to Ireland before finally getting underway towards New York City, uh, like I said, 11th of April, 1912. And she planned to steam into Pier 59 in New York City the 17th of April, which is, what, six days later? So pretty good crossing, pretty luxurious, about a week. So as the Titanic's crossing the Atlantic, she gets numerous reports of drifting ice off the coast of Newfoundland and pretty much throughout the North Atlantic. But she kept on steaming full speed ahead, which was pretty much standard practice at the time, I think. Um, It was pretty much just like a crow's nest kind of operation where they would just get reports from the crow's nest, you know, the guys way up high. And they would be like, iceberg. And then that way they could just like maneuver out of the way. Um, Captain Smith, who I mentioned before, in 1907, he actually has this famous quote where he goes, he could not imagine any condition in which a ship would founder because modern shipbuilding has gone way beyond that, in his opinion. So he doesn't see this as being an issue at all. Um, and this takes us to the 14th of April, 1912. Fr- Frederick Fleet, who is the crow's nest dude, screams, Iceberg, dead ahead, at 11.40 p.m. So it's late. That's not an exact quote. I have no idea what he actually said, but he saw the iceberg and he radios the bridge. Um, First Officer William Murdoch, and he orders the ship to steer around the iceberg but it's too late and the starboard side, which is the right side if you're facing forward, is hits the iceberg, punching a hole, uh, a bunch of holes actually, in the hull right below the waterline. So the problem was that the hull was super dented and it, w- it made a fucking dent. So five watertight compartments flooded and the ship could not survive more than four. So it became super clear she was fucked like right away. She starts sinking bow first and the lifeboat issue starts to become apparent because things are not looking good at all. After two and a half hours, so this takes us to what? Like 2 a.m., 2.15 a.m., the rate of sinking increases dramatically as the deck slipped underwater. So they're like a bunch of grates on the front bow and, and on the deck. So as the deck goes underwater, she's, the rate of which water is entering the ship is going super, super fast. And it just starts pushing her down. Uh, the stern of the ship starts to rise up and her propellers were exposed at this point. And it's also at this point because... She's so she's starting to tip so high. The uh, peak stress is reached, and the hull snaps in half. Um, and she, this is not looking good. So, at this point, all remaining crew and passengers were thrown into the negative two degree water. So that's Celsius. I think that's like twenty eight degrees Fahrenheit. So below freezing. Remember, salt water has a lower freezing point than fresh water. So this is like super cold. 
Most people died within 15 to 20 minutes. And I read this statistic that only five people uh, were actually helped into lifeboats at this point. So the rate of survivors are, it's not looking good. The Titanic slipped beneath the waves finally at 2.20 a.m. on the 15th of April, 1912. So she hits the iceberg at 11.40. By 2.20, she's down. So that is less than three hours, which is, again, unheard of that she would sink that fast. Distress signals had gone out by telegraph, and rocket flares were sent up into the air, but no ship was close enough to arrive before she sank. Because three hours is just, I mean, you could like, that's almost like a dinner in like any European country. So finally at like 4 a.m., the RMS Carpathia arrives on scene and ends up rescuing 710 people. And the captain of the Carpathia would describe the scene as littered with icebergs. Some of them as tall as 61 meters, which is like 200 feet. So this was clearly like an especially bad time to be in the North Atlantic. The Carpathia would make it back to New York three days later, but it had already radioed the world that the Titanic had gone down. It took four days for a complete list of casualties to be published by the press. And many famous picks exist of newspaper boys standing with the famous Titanic sinks headline. Um, there's one of like a super young boy holding a Titanic disaster headline. It's either in the U S or Britain. And it's like a super cool picture. Definitely look it up. Um, more than 60 survivors in the U S and Britain sued the white star line in the ensuing weeks and months. Um, this ended up totaling 16 million claims, which is around 420 million USD today. So no one is happy about this. Um, many charities were set up and 45,000 pounds, um, which is like $57 million today was raised to aid the survivors and the victims families. So it's not just litigation, but also there's some charities set up to help people because, again, this is a, just a huge disaster. The White Star Line would end up settling for only 664000 which is around $16.5 million today. So these dudes got off, like, definitely not that bad. Um, interestingly enough, the ensuing investigations found that the White Star Line had not been guilty of negligence because the disaster was ruled an act of God. So um, it was not, it, it was a freak accident, basically. Um, many found that Captain Smith had acted as any other skilled captain would. He uh, ordered to steer around the iceberg, was operating on that crow's nest lookout kind of mentality. Um, however, the court did insist that the speed at which the Titanic was traveling far exceeded safe, especially for an area that was known to be littered with icebergs. So they were going way too fast because it, it just, it was not enough time to react. Um, the court also ruled that the existing lifeboat regulations concerning the necessary number for ships to carry was way outdated. 
Because remember, the Titanic actually had enough based on those regulations. The regulations prior to Titanic sinking also did not aid in properly training crew members to fill and crew these lifeboats in the event of a disaster, which would also definitely have saved at least hundreds of lives if these guys were able to properly fill and ferry these lifeboats out. Um, because a lot of the Titanic's lifeboats were not even at capacity when they were rescued by the Carpathia. As a result of all the post-Titanic disaster litigation and investigation, an international ice patrol was set up to monitor icebergs in the North Atlantic, and the International Convention for the Safety of Life at Sea was set up to enact uniform maritime safety regulations the world abound. So both of these organizations still exist today, and they were a direct result of the Titanic disaster. So I thought that was definitely super cool that they still exist. Um, so here's some numbers for you. Due to uh, a, like a super inaccurate um, crew list and passenger list based on people canceling, people stowing away, um, the number of people aboard the Titanic when she finally got underway in the Atlantic is put at roughly 2,200 to 2,225. Um, and the death toll, again, because of a lot of inaccuracies in numbers, um, is put anywhere from 1,490 to 1,635 deaths as a result of the sinking. So, bro, that's serious L. Um, I don't mean to be disrespectful, of course, but it's that's not good. Uh, some percentages from this number, which I thought was super interesting, 78% of male crew members ended up going down with the ship, including Captain Smith. So not only was this dude a super like good-looking version of Santa Claus, but he also just chapeau to him for going down with the ship because a lot of people, I, I think a lot of captains, myself included, if I was in that position, I would just be like, bro, get me on a lifeboat, I'm peacing out of here. Um, 13% of female crew went down with the ship. So much better, much better number. 84% of third class men went down with the ship and 54% of third class women. So this was a, a huge result of just the third class being much deeper into the ship. And a lot of people were, were trapped, um, as the ship went down and as she filled up with water from below. 92% of second-class men died, however, which is by far the highest percentage out of anything. So if you're a second-class man on the Titanic, your chances of survival are basically zero. 14% um, of second-class women, however, did survive. 67% of first-class men went down with a ship. So while a much better statistic than third or second-class, you still did not have a good chance of getting off if you were a man on board the Titanic. 3% of first-class women died. So if you were a first-class, or first-class women, if you're a first-class woman, your chances of survival are super, super high. 53 children died. One of them was from first-class. The other 52 were from third-class, and no second-class children died. So this really shows the policy of women and children first 
and how that played a huge role in who made it off the Titanic safely. The wealthiest passenger, John Jacob Astor, went down with the ship, but bitch-ass Jay Bruce Ismay, who chairman of the White Star Line, made it off alive, and he would catch a ton of flack for this for the rest of his life. So he's like that character in the Titanic movie who like pushes people out of the way to get on the lifeboat and ends up surviving. Like, dude, you just got to go down with the ship. I mean, it's the honorable thing to do. The youngest passenger on board at the time was nine weeks old and at the, ti- at the time of the Titanic sinking, and she would be the last living survivor too, finally kicking it in May 2009 at 97 years old. So what a life. I mean, she lived to see the first black president after going down with the ship. Like, serious, uh, serious respect. After the incident, the White Star Line chartered a bunch of Canadian ships from Nova Scotia to try and retrieve the bodies of the dead um, to give them a proper burial on land. And 333 bodies ended up being recovered. Um, Most of these bodies were preserved and embalmed on board the Canadian ships, while many others were given, um, like mostly the third class passengers. And this was, you could usually tell this by clothes or sometimes they had photographs to go off of. These guys were buried at sea. And I think the reason for that is because there were a lot of big estates involved with the first class passengers. And in, in terms of settling things like that, they wanted definitive proof that these guys had died. Um, just shows you how callous some of this, uh, litigation can be sometimes, but anyway, about two thirds of all bodies were eventually identified of those 333 that they found and they were shipped back to their families in North America and Europe. Um, the rest were buried in several cemeteries in Nova Scotia, um, where they still are today. So you can go visit those if you so wish. Now, this is where we'll address a few myths and kind of interesting stories associated with the Titanic. Uh, I think the most famous of these myths, and this is one of my favorite stories, is the idea that the Titanic was unsinkable and that she was described as unsinkable. In fact, the Titanic was never advertised or described as unsinkable until after she had sank. Many passengers post-disaster claimed in quotes to the press and things like that, that they thought she was unsinkable, but neither the builder nor the White Star Line had ever described the Titanic as point-blank unsinkable. The White Star Line had promoted that she was designed to be unsinkable, but she was never called the unsinkable Titanic or anything like that. This myth to the best of my knowledge, comes from an, um, a quote made by Philip A.S. Franklin, who was the vice president of the International Mercantile Marine Company, who was the White Star Line's holding company. Um, and he said to the New York Times on the 16th of April, 1912, which was a day after the Titanic slipped beneath the waves, I thought her unsinkable. I do not understand it, end quote. The press obviously had a field day with this line and used this to kind of ham up the idea that the sinking of the ship um, that was billed as unsinkable went down and it was a huge like 
slight to this unsinkable claim. Um, but that myth still holds strong today. And it's been 108 years and she's still called unsinkable in, in pretty much any conversation. So um, next time you hear that, make sure to argue that it was bitch-ass Philip A.S. Franklin who made that up and it was not actually the case prior to her launch. Um, the second interesting story about the Titanic, and uh, this is super interesting, is that her sinking was more or less foretold 14 years prior um, to 1912. So in 1898, Morgan Robertson writes a book called Futility or the Wreck of the Titan. And this story tells of a British passenger liner called the Titan that's described as unsinkable and carrying an inadequate number of lifeboats. During a voyage in April, the Titan hits an iceberg and sinks in the North Atlantic with almost everyone on board dying in the disaster. I mean, need I say more about how eerily similar that is to the story of the Titanic? Even the, the dimensions of the Titan as described in Robertson's book, were nearly identical to those of the Titanic within like 80 to 100 feet, which is, remember, the Titanic is the biggest ship in the world at the time of her launch in 1912. So 14 years prior, Morgan Robertson predicts that a ship, he doesn't predict, but he at least describes a ship of enormous dimension. And I just think that's totally crazy. Um, Robertson caught hella shade for this assertion. Um, and a lot of, remember this is 1912, like people still think witches and stuff exist and he gets called a clairvoyant. He gets told a, called a foreteller of the future or whatever you want to call it after the Titanic sinks. And this is really just because he had known a lot about shipbuilding. He knew a lot about maritime trends. Um, and most likely the reason for the similarities of the Titan to the Titanic were just accidental foreshadowing due to just being a really well-researched writer. Um, and now this brings me to my favorite part of the story and something that I actually have a personal connection to, and that's the wreck of the Titanic. So for decades following the Titanic sinking, she was thought to have gone down in one piece. Um, and for this reason, it was proposed that the Titanic could be raised from the ocean floor and salvaged. So in the 1960s and 70s, there were all these crazy fucking ideas to raise the wreck by like attaching balloons, injecting her with molten wax, uh, encasing her in ice, which is lighter than the, the water around it so she could rise to the surface. I even read this story about filling the hull with ping pong balls. Like, bro, don't you understand that like at any pressure, a ping pong ball is just going to... Anyway, there was even a Hollywood film called Raise the Titanic. I actually watched this with my dad when I was like 12 years old. It's such a bad movie. Um, it was made in 1976, and there's no surprise that that shit flopped, but I digress. All these schemes were super improbable, not just for the pressure, but also they just didn't know where the wreck was. Um, and it would take until 1985 for 
oceanographer Robert Ballard on a joint French-American expedition to finally locate the wreck on the 1st of September. And it was found 1,151 kilometers, which is like 715 miles off the coast of Newfoundland, or 2,000 kilometers from New York City. So that's like 12, 1,250 miles. The wreck was discovered in two pieces. So puts to bed the idea that it went down in one piece. And she was surrounded by a debris field measuring 40 square kilometers, which is a little over 15 square miles. The wreck is 3,700 meters below the surface, which is 12,000 feet and which is over two miles. So that ping pong ball idea is looking really fucking stupid right now. Um, because of this depth, the Titanic descended downward at a super high rate of speed, like just dropping like a fucking torpedo. And she hits the seafloor, just smashes into it and is sucking with it a downblast of hydraulic force as a result of sinking two miles into underwater. Um, and this pressed the wreck into the, into the seabed. So not only was a ton of shit ripped off as she descended down, but it was all smashed into the ground. So she's in no state like she left Southampton. Um, There's a really good YouTube video, by the way, that you totally need to check out uh, showing the Titanic sinking in accelerated time. It's like two minutes and 40 seconds, so super quick. It's made by James Cameron as part of the Titanic 100 anniversary for National Geographic. Um, which was 2012 was the hundredth anniversary. Um, it's animated and is super good. It's called new CGI of how the Titanic sank Titanic 100. It's on national geographics, YouTube channel. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and if that doesn't work, because I'm pretty sure show notes are only on iTunes and you know this podcast has not been approved to be on iTunes yet, uh, just DM me on Insta or bang my line if you can't find it and I'll shoot you the link because it's easily one of my favorite YouTube videos. It's got some good music and um, shows some super cool stuff. Um, but because of the depth and the cold ocean temps, which are like one to two degrees Celsius, which is 34 to 36 Fahrenheit, uh, it was thought that the, the Titanic would be frozen in time at the bottom of the sea. So because it's so deep, it's basically like this perfect environment for her to be preserved in. But Robert Ballard's expedition, Robert Ballard's expedition found that this part of the ocean is actually way more biodiverse than they had originally thought. And there are various rust-eating bacteria that live there There's sea anemones, crabs, shrimp, and even fish that have been feasting on the Titanic's wreck for over a century. Um, James Cameron, who actually made the film Titanic and has done a lot of research in in deep oceans, actually found a new species of sea cucumber down there. So, I mean, it's teeming with life, unfortunately. Um, And because of this, I say unfortunately, it's a uh just a feeding ground like the the wreck is really in bad shape um so because of the titanic's wreck being in essence a massive grave site um robert ballard has actually called for the wreck to be left untouched and a monument to the dead and just a piece of history so 
um, just kind of a tribute to all the lives lost that, that night in April, 1912. Um, However, this has not stopped many independent missions, sometimes for profit, from salvaging various artifacts. Uh, some of the artifacts that have been found on board the Titanic and, and taken back to shore include the ship's bell, deck chairs, um, there are definitely some life jackets that still exist, and various personal effects. Uh, some have been sold to private collectors, and some are displayed in museums in Belfast, um, and across the world. So as I mentioned before, I do have a personal connection to this wreck. Um, and if you were bored during this episode, I totally get it because I've been obsessed with this story since I was literally seven years old. I love shipwrecks in general, used to be a swimmer. So I like the water, but I have like this respect and fear for the fact that like these big ships can go down under the waves and, and, are basically that the ocean has the final say. Um, and I, I just love shipwrecks, just period, because I just think they're super cool looking too. Um, but something about the Titanic has just always been super cool to me. And maybe it's the size, uh, maybe it's the tragedy, the history, or just the sheer depth at which the wreck lies today. Um, but when I was eight years old, I was just devouring like all the public library books on the Titanic I could. Um, and I actually got my hands on Bob Ballard's office address and wrote him a letter. And in some shit ass handwriting, which I still hold dear to my heart today, um, I wrote him and I actually included a crude ass drawing of a submersible finding the Titanic. I posted a letter to him and he actually wrote back. Um, and he sent me a nice letter, you know, saying like, you know, thanks for, thanks for your note and drawing, uh, threw it in the trash immediately. Um, he included this photo of himself, uh, the day he found the Titanic in 1985 standing on his submersible, you know, the very submersible that found, I think it's called Alvin, the, the submersible. Um, and I, I remember I put it on my bookshelf. It's, it's a super cool, he's standing, he's surrounded by just the vast expanse of the ocean. And I mean, that's just, for me, that's such an important day in history. And it, it was super cool. Um, but anyway, my grandmom lives near Mystic Aquarium in Mystic, Connecticut. And um, at the time, Bob Ballard had an office at the Mystic Aquarium. And when I was visiting there one time, um, I actually got to meet Bob Ballard and I was like, Hey, I'm that little kid who wrote you a letter. And I got to shake his hand and, you know, chat with him. And like, it was kind of like a starstruck moment. Like I haven't met that many famous people in my life, but for me, that was super cool. Um, so I literally shook the guy's hand who took, like, he's seen the Titanic with his own eyes. So if we're talking like degrees of separation, I'm one degree away from the wreck of the Titanic which is just so cool. Um, that, that's like the equivalent of like a young Portuguese boy meeting Ferdinand Magellan after he circumnavigated the globe. Um, and for him to take time out of his day to for like a little noisy ute like myself, um, I mean, I will never forget that moment. And maybe I'll shoot him a DM on Insta uh, linking this podcast, but uh, probably not because he'll immediately be like, bro, you're such a fucking piece of crap. I wish I never sent you that letter. 
Just kidding. He's probably a super nice guy. Hopefully he's retired and chilling. Um, anyway, 108 years on, and that's the story of the Titanic and her sinking and her eventual wreckage, uh, discovery and kind of hope you got a good sense of what the ship looked like before, during, and after the crisis. Um, huge seminal moment. I think a big reason why we're so fascinated with it is because it was the biggest ship at the time and it went down on her maiden voyage. So all the hype was just building as she was ripped from the clutches of humanity by the, the North Atlantic. Um, it's also, you know, a, a big story and kind of avoidable disaster. There are a lot of stories that if they had used better binoculars or if they had actually heeded the warnings of the North Atlantic ice patches or slowed down the ship, she could have been saved. Um, there's also this story that had she hit the iceberg head on, instead of trying to turn around it at the last minute, she would have just, it would have made the sinking, if there had been a sinking, if it had punched holes in the in the hull, it would have gone down much slower and there would have been far fewer deaths. Um, but we'll never know. And that's part of the mystery. So, or part of, I guess, the, the big sadness. Um, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, still getting better at this stuff. If you made it this far, again, I just got to say hats off to you. Um, the, the Titanic will live on in film and podcasts like this. Um, so going to try to make this a habit, but a little quote to bring us out. Um, this actually comes from the movie of Titanic, so it's not actually a real source, but um, it is from pop culture, so I think it'll be enjoyable. Um, and it comes from the old lady Rose um, at the end of the movie, I believe. You know, she's finally returned to the sea. She's put her like blue jewels back into the sea. And she says, and I quote here, Titanic was called the ship of dreams. And it was. It really was. End quote. So thanks for listening. Hope you join me next week where we have another topic. But as always, this has been History 101. I'm your substitute teacher. Have a good day.